John chapter 4. I'd like to begin in verse 7. There comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. This wasn't your ordinary Jew. Praise God. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And I want to stop there, and I wanted to just make a couple of comments, if you will, in getting into this message today. And I want to talk to you about the provision of His presence, the provision of His presence. Some of you today have gotten to church, but you haven't gotten to Jesus. And church will do all that it can to help you, but it cannot satisfy you. But if you get to Jesus... Jesus will satisfy your soul if you get to him. The provision of his presence is what I want to talk about this morning to your life. Our poverty, and when I say that in our poverty, don't think of finances. But perhaps think of the things in your life that you lack. Maybe you lack victory. Maybe you lack wisdom. Maybe you lack joy. Maybe you lack comfort. Maybe you lack power in your life. The poverty that we might experience in our life is not the neglect of God, but it is our unfamiliarity with who he is. That's what it is. Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you knew who I was, you would ask me. And that is the reason for our poverty. That's the reason for our lack. Because we don't really know who he is. That's why we don't tithe. We don't really know who he is. It's why we don't forgive. Because we don't know who he really is. It's why some people will go on for the rest of their life and live as a victim. A victim of, and you can fill in the blank. A victim of divorce. A victim of betrayal, a victim of unfaithfulness, a victim of abuse, a victim of physical abuse, sexual abuse, whatever it might be. And, and we'll go on 
living the rest of your life as a victim because you don't know who he is. Now, you might know about him. You might have read about him. No doubt the woman at Samaria had an understanding of the, of the Messiah. She had a particular belief of the Messiah and what he would be like when he came. But that belief is not going to help her. Only he can help her. And if you knew who I was, Jesus said to the woman, you would ask me. And I would give it to you. And that is the reason for our poverty. I would put that plain and simple. It is the reason for our poverty. Jesus actually said in John 17 that my father loves you like he loves me. That's very hard for us to grasp. Had Jesus not said that, we would feel it was almost sacrilegious to say it. But Jesus said it. That as my father loves me, he loves you. Jesus said, my father will not withhold any good thing from you. My father will not forsake you. My father will comfort you. My father will strengthen you. I will give you power. The reason we lack these things in our life is because we really don't know who he is. We don't know who's there. And the reason we don't know or, or, the, or because we don't know who's there, we don't ask. And that's another thing. We don't know how to ask. Because we treat God as though he's one of us. And we think God, asking God is a few minutes of a petition that we have on a piece of paper. That God, I need a blessing here and I need a blessing there. And I need you to do this for my family. And I need this in my life and I need that in my life. God, would you please give this to me? And we think that's asking But as I've taught you before, there's a grace in everything that God has for us. And there's a grace in asking. For example, if you need God to bless you and help you in your present state financially, how do you ask God to help you financially? By giving. But the reason some of you are not going to give is because you don't know him. Therefore, you're not going to ask him because that's a big commitment. I would rather be able to stand at this distance and have God up in heaven and I'm down on earth and say, God, I'm going to put you to the test. I have a financial need. Would you bless me? And he might just out of the goodness of his heart. But partly in our asking is how we're supposed to come to God and ask. As I've taught you, if you want the presence of God in your life, then you've got to praise God. You've got to open up your mouth and you've got to glorify the Lord and you've got to speak words that lift up Jesus Christ and magnify the Lord and declare his goodness and his greatness and his mercy and his kindness and his worth. You have to do that if you want the presence of God in your life. And some people would say, well, you know, that's just something that you do. But, you know, the Bible tells me that God is everywhere. Yes, he's everywhere, but you don't know it. And I'm talking about the manifestation of his presence in your life. Where God is there and you know that God is there. God is real and you know that God is real. He's tangible. You can touch him and you hear him and you feel him and he moves. And you can sense his movement in the room or in your life. And... God is so present in that way. 
Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God to the woman at the well, you would ask. And beloved, I say that to you this morning. If you knew the gift of God, you would ask. You would be willing to do that. You would be willing to ask God to heal you of your bitterness by forgiving the person that made you bitter. Whoa, 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 whoa. time out. I will forgive them when they apologize and repent. Then I will do something good and I will seek a relationship with them. But until that happens, uh uh-uh, no go. Thank the Lord that's not his attitude towards us. While we were sinners, he died for us. And that's the way we ask for our healing or our cleansing from bitter. We live in a world today that is... That is really misconstrued and very biblically illiterate. And, and I believe in deliverance. I believe in it. I, I, I thank God. I'm going to talk a little bit about deliverance today. I believe in deliverance. I honestly do. And, and I believe that there are people that are in bondage in the world that need to be set free. They need a miracle of God in their life to set them free. But a lot of things, and you see Christians, and oftentimes in some of these conventions and some of these movements where people are seeking deliverance, it's the same people week after week after week who are getting delivered. Why? Because the deliverance or the freedom that we're seeking is not so much that God comes and takes the bitterness out of me. But it's me being able to do business with God and being able to say to God, so-and-so really hurt me and they offended me. And I know that I'm bitter and I'm upset with them. And God, I have evil thoughts towards them or my spouse or my marriage. And God, I just don't perceive any way that I can get over this, but I don't want it. I want to release it. I want to forgive them. Will you give me the grace to be free? And then God will begin to fill you with his love. God will fill you with his compassion. God will fill you with his grace, with his spirit. And it is the filling of that love and the spirit of God that drives out the bitterness from your life. And you don't need to be delivered again next week. Because you've received the Lord. And so I think that is so important for us to understand in our life. I think that we need to understand it very well. Like the woman at the well, Jesus said to her, if you knew who I was, it is our failure of knowing who he is that is the result of the cause of the poverty that's in our life, the unhappiness in our life, everything else. We think Jesus wants to take our fun away. We think Jesus wants to take our happiness away. Following Jesus just means absolutely no fun in this life. You really don't know him. You just really don't know. Listen, every one of us that are Christ followers, I mean really Christ followers. I'm not talking about churchgoers. Every one of us in this room that are Christ followers could do everything that you're doing if you're not a Christ follower. There's no ball and chain on us. We could pursue anything in this world that we would desire to pursue. I'm not going to go into this. I'll just throw it out there. Paul even said, everything is lawful to me, but not everything is expedient. We could drink. We could social drink. We could, we could do anything that you could possibly imagine. But our choice to not do that is not because we have forsaken those things so we won't go to hell when we die. But the reason those things do not have an appeal to us anymore is because we have found someone 
who transcends those lesser delights. He fulfills me. It's not that we can't. And so when you see Christians who are sold out to Jesus Christ and you're not, it's not because you're cooler than them. Trust me. And it's not because you're more vile or wicked than them. Trust me. You would be floored to hear some of the testimonies of these people in this room who are Christ followers and how they used to live their life. They would embarrass you. But they met a man. And when they met the man, they knew who he was. And they started asking him for water, for drink, for satisfaction, for delight. And he delivered. That's why, right? That's why we're Christ followers, right? It's what Jesus has done for us. God is here right now today. To take care of all things in our life. There is not one thing in your life that Jesus Christ will have to turn away from you and say, that's above my pay grade. Um, I, I, I have to go and spend some counsel, some time counseling to find out what to do with you. No, right now, Jesus not only has the answer, he has the provision for everything in your life right now. And he's here to give it. He's here to take care of you. It's a matter of asking and receiving in your life. And I pray that you will do this. This woman that Jesus met at the well. If you understand giving yourself to Jesus. Because maybe you think, well, you know, that's a little bit costly. That's a little bit risky, you know. I, I, I have to forsake everything to come after God. I mean, that's a little bit risky, You do that every day of your life for what you believe in. You've done that for your careers. You you trusted whatever that was that appealed to you and said, this is the way of success. You, You put everything into it. Your parents paid tens of thousands of dollars to universities for your children because you put everything into it thinking that the university is going to educate your child to give them a successful future. You did it then. Those of you that are married, you did it in an altar. You didn't do it at the end of your marriage. You did it before you spent one day married and you stood in an altar and you did it then. You gave everything. And you have no clue. You have no idea what's really going to happen. But you stood there in front of God and family and said, forsaking all others, I give myself to you. Good or bad time, sickness or hell, it doesn't matter. We're together for life. You did it then. This woman at the well did it. She did it to husband number one. At some point in her life, she got married thinking this guy's going to satisfy me. He didn't. So she goes to husband number two. And she stands in an altar of marriage and gives herself to him. She gave everything. That didn't work out. So maybe husband number three will be the charm. But he wasn't the charm. 
And that marriage ends in divorce. So let's do it again. Husband number four. Is there a husband number five? Yes, there is. Five times in her life, she risked everything to hope in a man to make her happy and satisfied. And every man failed. So she comes up with her genius idea. I won't ever get married again. I'll just live with a man. And I'm still not happy. Jesus is there. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me. And you got to jump it. You do it with your friendships. You do it with your addictions. Everyone does it with their God, whatever their God is. You're all in with your God. Because every God demands everything. And so we're all in with it. And this is what we do. And as we go through this, I want to come to a place, I hope, of really understanding what is in the heart of Jesus for you today. And I pray that you will let him do this in your life. The grace of asking. Um, I'm thinking of an illustration of that. There was a time Jesus was walking along the, the shore and there was a great multitude pressing on him. And when he's walking along, he sees two ships that are anchored close to the shore. So he gets into one of the boats. It was Peter's boat. And he asked Peter, would you just push off of the land a little bit so I can speak to the crowd? Because it was a lot of people. They're pressing on him. Now, the fishermen had been fishing all night. They were not fishing anymore. They were actually on the seashore cleaning their nets. And so Jesus gets in the boat. Peter doesn't. Peter doesn't ask anything. Jesus just gets in the boat. Peter gives him the boat. Peter doesn't say, get out of my boat. Peter doesn't say, wait a minute, time out. I know you, Jesus. I know what you're capable of. You can use my boat if you bless my business. Because we fished all night and didn't catch anything. So here's the deal. You use my boat. You bless my business. Deal? None of that came out of Peter. Jesus gets in the boat. Can I use it as a platform to speak from? You sure can, Jesus. And when Jesus is finished, Jesus says to Peter, because you're not ever going to owe God. Jesus says to Peter, now, get your boats, let's go out into the deep, and let's go fishing. And Peter says, we're fishermen. You're a carpenter, we're fishermen. We fished all night. This is not the time of day to go fishing, but because it's you. Who's asking me? I'll do it. Peter knew who he was. Had Peter not known who he was, then maybe Peter would have been like us. And he would have left that day where Jesus used his boat, wanting to give Peter so much more. But he didn't trust Jesus' fishing expertise. And this woman says to Jesus, how can you? How can you give me water? This is a deep well. You have nothing. It's because you don't know who I am. Some of us say that this morning, how can you? Are you greater than my abuser? Are you greater than my rape? 
Are you greater than my depression? Are you greater than my five marriages that have wrecked my life? Are you greater than my despair? Are you greater than my addiction? How can you help me, Jesus? I don't see anything that you have. I don't see anything that you've done today to help me. Just ask him. You'll be surprised what he shows up with. The compassions of God are everlasting. They're never failing. They're fresh and new every morning of your life. As a matter of fact, Peter said this in his epistle. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly from their temptations. That word know means this, that God understands. He's observed it. He knows where you are. He knows why you're there. He knows your suffering. He has caught every tear in his bottle. There's not one thing that you have been through that has escaped him. He knows. And he knows how to deliver. Praise God. Deliver. And I love the way Peter uses this word deliver because it means this. He knows how to swoop down, pick up, and take away. He knows how to get you out of this trap that you're in. He can do it suddenly. He can do it immediately. He can do it when you didn't think anything was going to happen for you that day. God showed up and God delivered me. He knows how to do it. And their temptations or their trials, their afflictions, their despairs. Jesus knows them. Paul said of God that he is the God that comforts those who are cast down. Cast down. If you're cast down this morning, God, if you could know him, he's face to face and nose to nose and mouth to mouth with you right now. He is in your face. You are so attractive to him in your misery and in your brokenness. And when people are turning away from you, Jesus is turning toward you and running to you. And he is there and he's saying, if you knew who I was, if you knew who I was, if you would ask me, if you knew the gift of God, if you would just ask me, I would, I will, I shall, I do. He will, when did he ever say no? He might have challenged, but when did he ever say no? And he's not going to say no today. Not to you. He knows how to deliver. And so I want to, I want to talk about this story in Mark 8. And um, you can look at it. I'm going to reference it. But Jesus is again ministering and he's been traveling. He's been walking. And the Bible says that a great multitude of people were following him. Really, really large. We know that there were 3,000 men. We know that. So counting the kids and the women. Very easily 10,000 people following Jesus on foot. 
And the Bible says that Jesus turned to his disciples and he says, he said, I have compassion on these people. They have been with me for three days. And some of them have come from far. And we need to feed them or they will faint on their way home. Give them something to eat. The disciples said to Jesus, what man could satisfy these men? Don't you just sometimes, I would do the same thing. But but if you had your right mind, you'd just say, he just did it two chapters ago to more people. How quick we are to doubt. He just fed you. He just satisfied you two days ago, two weeks ago, two months ago. He just did something incredible for you. And now today, this is going to kill you? That's, what, that's the way we think. I'll never get past this. I'll never get through this. And so Jesus commanded them to be fed. And the story is, is that he fed every one of them. And I want to draw this out to you. I want to draw out the reason Jesus fed them. And I'm talking about the provision of his presence. And y'all please listen to me. I don't know what's going to happen in this world. I don't know what's going to happen in America. I'm looking for Jesus. But you know what? Gaining aggression is out there against the church, against free speech, against liberties. I want to make it home. I want to be with God forever. I want to be faithful to Jesus to the end. I want to be a follower of him. I want to be in his presence. I thank God for the church if it's pursuing his presence with one another. Because the only thing that's valuable in here today is the living God. And the only hope any of us have today is the living God. I do not need a shot in the arm. I do not need another motivational speech. I need to get to a man who can give me the water to drink that I'll never thirst again. I need to get to that man. Is he here? Do I have access to him? Because life is real and the pain is real and the difficulty is real. And here's this Jesus. This is who he is. This is a profound chapter. So Jesus said, I have compassion on these people and I want to feed them. And in this desire of the Lord and in this compassion of the Lord, his desire is this, that these people are not going to make it if I don't do something. And God knows that about you and me. You're not going to make it if I don't do something, which is grace. If I don't do something to help you and strengthen you and empower you. And the question that the disciples bring. 
is what man can satisfy these men. And if we're not careful in our life, in our confusion, in our walk of faith, we can get to a place in our life where we begin to think. I'm not saying it's our belief, at least not yet. But we begin to think, I'm beyond help. I'm beyond hope. My marriage is beyond hope. Who can help my marriage? My health is beyond hope. Who can help my health? Like the woman with the issue of blood who gave all of her money to the doctors. She had nothing left and she had no cure. But she knew a man. And if I can touch him. If I could just touch his garment. I know I'll be made well. But some of us are in that place right now. You know what? I have been betrayed one too many times. I've been hurt too many times. I've been offended by Christians. I've been betrayed by friends. I'll, I'll never be able to trust anybody again. Who can help me? I've been so run over by life. Who can help me? And we have that same kind of attitude towards Jesus like the disciples did. Who can help them? Who can satisfy them? There's too many. The need is too great. Maybe even in our own life we're that way. And Jesus' response, and this is what I really want you to get. The response of Jesus was not because of their faith. And this kind of cuts against the grain of the word of faith movement and things like that. It's certainly not because of their faith. Because they actually get up in the face of Jesus and say, who can help them? Insinuating that not even you can do it. And they're challenging Jesus with that. And maybe you're discouraged with your faith. And maybe you fear that you have offended God. That you can't walk around and claim that you're this great man or woman of faith. Sometimes we like to point individuals out who have walked mightily in faith. People like Christy, people like Evan, others that have walked through it, watching Billy and Rose walk through things and... And we like to point out, and yet you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm not them. So is it over for me? Because it seems like my faith has failed. It seems like every day of my life, my faith fails. It seems like every day of my life, instead of getting up singing, God, you're so good. I'm wondering where in the world is God? And I'm beginning to think that if God, at this point in my life, that even if God did come, it's too late. Mary and Martha would testify to the fact it's not. It's not too late for God. And I'm trying to encourage you to believe in Jesus, not your faith. Believe in Jesus. 
Trust in Jesus. And what is the belief in Jesus that I have to follow him? I have to be with him. I have to have his presence in my life. And Jesus' desire to feed these people was not because the men were good. And it's not because they were helping themselves. And it was not because they were even helping his campaign. The reason Jesus wanted to help them is because they were with him. They were with him. And that's the provision of his presence, my friends. Religion will disappoint you. The church will fail you. But it's the provision of his presence. And he had compassion on them. Not because they had great faith and not because they were great people. But because they were with him. And because they were with him, he wanted to take care of them. And that's what he said to them. That's what he said to his disciples. And Jesus would say that to some of you. Jesus could say to some of us, like he said to the disciples, Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. And then he would follow it up maybe with this, But I see you still driving to work with tears in your eyes crying out to me. I see that. I see you and your hearts are struggling and your hearts are dry and your spirit is cold. I see that. But yet you're still looking for me every day. There's something in you that that every day when you get up, you know, you know, your faith's not right. You you know that there's struggles, but but you're 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 turning to me and I see it. I see that. You're with me. You're with me. And I want to help you. I want to feed you because I want you to make it home. You've been with me for three days. You've been with me for three years. You've been with me for 30 years. I've carried you through so much. Do you think I'm going to drop you now? I want you to make it. And some of you have gone through so much. You've gone through so much to be with me. Your family has risen up against you. You've lost friendships because of me. Your life has been thrown into such a a web of confusion because you're following me. And you've gone through so much to be with me. It's my compassion for you. That I want to feed you. I know what you need. I know how to deliver you. I know what to give you. And if you just knew who I was. You would ask me. I'm sure there were hungry people in the town. Nearby. But they didn't get fed. It was the crowd that was with him. And I say that to you because I want you to know that you have to be with him. And you have to be close to him. I want you to stand with me. I want us to seek the Lord truly with our heart. Today, 
Somebody can't take it anymore. You know who you are. You're thinking about ways to die. You're wishing to not be alive anymore. You need to know who he is. You need to know who he is quickly. Today there's somebody here. That's struggling to believe anymore. How can anyone help me? Psalm 107. Beautiful psalm. It talks about people who are in all types of troubles in life. Some of them got there because of rebellion. Some of them got there because of the enemy. Some of them got there because of life. But the deliverance for every one of them was this one thing. When they cried unto the Lord, he heard their cry.